you guys. Welcome to the Live Ride Learn podcast. This is your host, Sarah Hickner. And this week we are reading chapter five from Finding Gideon. But before we get started, I have some quick updates. We are halfway through on the Kickstarter. So if you are listening to this in the month of February of 2023, we are doing a Kickstarter to raise the funds to produce Finding Gideon. So here's the deal. When you produce a book by yourself, when you decide to go the independent route and not sell your story to a publisher or sign yourself up for years of rejection of someone telling you your story isn't good enough when you know it is, um, you're also accepting if you want to bring that book to the world with excellence, you're taking on the cost of cover design and editors and all kinds of stuff. And so the Kickstarter is raising funds to cover the cover design and the editor. And so please consider helping support this project. We are so close halfway. You guys, that's insane. So the Kickstarter goal is 5000 We are over 2500 and the deadline is February 28th. So if you're listening to this before February 28th and you haven't backed the Kickstarter yet, please Go check it out. Just go to kickstarter.com or the Kickstarter app and search Finding Gideon and it will come up. There are lots of great rewards. Just for $10, you get an invite to my virtual book launch party that I am so excited about. And I hope that everyone will at least do that because I want you to party with me. I want everyone there. It's going to be so fun. So be sure to go check out Finding Gideon on kickstarter.com or the Kickstarter app and join me in helping bring this book to the world. Okay, so now one more update. Uh, I met with my developmental editor last night, or I guess it was yesterday afternoon. Y'all, he had so many positive things to say. I couldn't believe it. I just really felt like, first of all, um, I'm going to be completely honest. I have really walked with God through the writing of this book. And so I like I can't even take credit there was a point in the middle of this book where I just didn't know what was going to come next and I had to pray every day and God would give me each chapter one at a time and so uh I just really feel like God brought this full circle like he was like wow I can't believe you wrapped it up so well and I can't believe this came together and that came together and I was like well uh uh-huh I really didn't have it much to do with that I mean I did the work but um, I had to pray and God just really guided me on that. So that was like pretty epic. His feedback, he was like, this is one of the cleanest, best manuscripts I've ever edited. So that was such an honor. He was like that. This is going at the top of my resume for manuscripts that I've edited, which is like, y'all, that's the ultimate honor. So anyway, so that is, we have multiple editors. That was my developmental editor who really just makes sure, you know, timelines line up and, I'm not missing pieces and make sure that just the content itself is good. And then it will go to a copy editor who checks for typos and just all the little errors, you know, like there, there, and there, <laughs> or lay, lie, lay, lane, all that stuff. I Like I can't keep track of it. So anyway, that's who it will go to next when we finish the Kickstarter. Today's episode is brought to you by Stream Horse. Streamhorse is a 22-time award-winning digital media network that emphatically impacts horses and humans around the world with the brands Streamhorse TV, Equine America Magazine, and Horse TV Global. 
StreamHorse fosters the premier digital community where enthusiasts come together to expand their horizons in sports and culture. StreamHorse is elevating equestrian entertainment, advancing accessibility, and boldly uniting the horse world. Celebrating the horse is our beloved common thread. Subscribe to StreamHorse for free at www.streamhorse.tv or follow StreamHorse on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Okay, so here we go. Without further ado, we are going to read chapter five from Finding Gideon. If you have not caught up, this is your moment to turn around, press pause, and go back to the earlier episodes of Live, Ride, Learn and catch the first four chapters. They don't take very long, so you could just binge the whole thing probably in an hour or so. Um, okay, here we go. Chapter five. Sir, we understand you have a stomachache. Sir, sir, you, you can't just leave. I imagined the flushed faces of frustrated nurses trying to keep the drunk guy from walking out, and I couldn't decide if this was funny or <laughs> infuriating. The nurse's station was a flurry of activity that never seemed to make it to my room. I wondered about the time. How long had I been here? No clocks hung from the fabric walls, and straps still held me down, rendering me unable to check my phone. It felt like 10 a.m., when people were no longer drowsy from morning and not quite tired from the day. 10 o'clock energy is demanding and urgent, and that was every hospital worker darting around the triage area. I was hurting, but surely they would get to me soon. A doctor would arrive, the angels would sing, and they could remove me from this board and neck brace and get me fixed up. I was supposed to be with Robert today, watching his horse run. If she won, we would have gone to the winner's circle together for the photo. It would have been the ultimate of track experiences. Instead, I'm strapped to this board of misery. I searched the doorway for the person who would relieve me of these torture devices. I'll be after the guy next door. I can wait. The world does not revolve around me. The drunk guy left, replaced with someone being peppered with questions about their leg. I could hear wheels hum past my curtain, followed by padding footsteps of what must be a family member as they rushed the guy to x-rays. My mind drifted, imagining scenarios where a person would break their leg. Falling down the stairs, a car accident, or getting attacked by someone with a crowbar. <laughs> I landed on a morning soccer game incident. How can a broken leg be more more urgent than a possible broken back? Because if they aren't worried, they shouldn't have me strapped down. The direction of my thoughts ratcheted my anger. If you aren't worried, unstrap me. I wanted to scream. My skin itched and a lump built in my throat. I need to get free. I inhaled deeply, trying to calm the tension that threatened to explode. A vision of my guts dripping from the curtains. A literal explosion of self danced across my mind, and I coaxed my thoughts to a different route. It's fine. You're fine. You're safe, I told myself. God, get their attention. Get them to help me, please. The guy with the broken leg returned from x-rays, and a load of concerned staff came and went on his side of the curtain. And then he was gone, and someone new took the room. Maybe the world doesn't revolve around me. But it's my turn. I should let myself scream and cry like they'd expect a girl to act in my situation. That might get their attention. As I pondered giving in to my emotions, a couple of women in scrubs peeked into my room. One asked in a curt tone, Do you have any pain or reason to believe you have a back injury? My nostrils flared as I grasped at composure. Stay calm and polite. The last thing I needed was to piss off the people who were here to help, but my voice shook with anger when I replied, Yes, my back hurts and my neck hurts. They shared a dismissive look, but I continued, I honestly can't tell if I'm injured or if it's because you have left me strapped to a board and an oversized neck brace for hours. 
Their eyes rolled. I wanted to howl and rip the curtains from the walls and throw things until they actually saw me. If they keep me strapped down much longer, they'll really need these straps, I thought, as I slipped further into a pit of rage. I tried my hardest to remain calm and polite. I needed to be released. Freedom. The nurses walked away. I couldn't clench my jaw. I couldn't throw things. I couldn't yell or scream. So instead, tears made the short trip from my eyes to the hair above my ears. I seethed at my vulnerability. We're taking you to x-rays, someone said a few minutes later. With a nurse on each end, they unlocked the wheels and rolled me away. I closed my eyes and focused on breathing. My body hurt. I couldn't understand why these ladies were so frustrated with me. I slipped into a fog, and when we returned, they yanked at the straps that held me captive. Pain radiated down my spine, and my muscles screamed as they tilted me to the side and pulled the board away. It hurt so much. It felt so good. Maybe my back was broken. Maybe I didn't care if they could just get that thing away from me. Now you need to take off your clothes and put on this gown, a nurse snapped. I looked at her in the eye, pausing so she could take in every bit of my brokenness and pain and frustration. I imagined taking the jeans off by myself, unbuttoning, shimmying to get them over my hips, and then bending over to get them past my feet. My muscles felt stuck in the shape of the orange board. I'm not sure I can. I replied, hating that I needed help, and despising even more that the only people available to give it seemed to loathe my existence. I glared like a wounded stray dog, willing to do whatever it took to defend myself, to hold on to at least a piece of my pride. The nurses looked me up and down before the hardness in their features lifted the smallest degree. Okay, we'll help you, the lady on the left replied. Please don't cut my jeans. They're my favorite. My voice softened a tad with the plea. Little white circles were soon stuck to my skin under the hospital gown with wires connecting them to monitors. I was still in this curtain room, but at least I was on a bed in a nearly sitting position. They strode to the exit and informed me a doctor was on her way. I believed them. They left. A hospital mattress with a thin blanket wasn't the Four Seasons, but it was a vast improvement over the orange board. I lay there listening to the activity, thinking about everything going on at the training track, wondering how Red was, and waiting for someone to come fix me so I could get back to my new life. No cell phone usage in this area, signs, seemed to yell every time I considered pulling out my phone. Eventually, I hid it beside my leg and quickly shot a text to my roommate. Had a riding accident. In ER at UofL. Can you walk Sandy? I messaged Craig to update him, as well as my family and Joey. What a difference between what was happening here and what was probably happening at Mississippi College. The cool of the sheet tempered the heat of my body, and when my eyes closed, I could see my friends. They were smiling, hugging, walking across the bright green quad to get to the science and math building. I still didn't regret leaving, but it didn't stop me from imagining that bubble of joy and love that had been empty and tasting a slight bitterness. I fought so hard not to go there. I almost laughed. God must have a real sense of humor. I had this crazy fantasy of riding racehorses. But there were a few problems. There were no racehorses anywhere near where I lived. They existed in books and on my TV every year during the Triple Crown races. I would have to wait to pursue the dream after high school, but I also planned to go to vet school. That meant after four years of college, I would dive headfirst into tough curriculum and clinicals. Then I'd have a career and maybe a family. There was one window I could see in my future to make the dream happen, and it was during my four years of undergraduate. 
I knew nothing about horse racing other than it happened in the bluegrass state. So I set my sights on the University of Kentucky. Every single test in high school suddenly held hopes for my future. A good grade meant scholarships and chasing dreams. A poor one meant I'd be stuck in Mississippi, likely going where my parents went, Mississippi College. There wasn't anything wrong with MC, except that it wasn't in Kentucky, and there wasn't a racetrack down the street. In high school, I played sports, auditioned for school plays, won art awards, held a position in student government, kept good grades in the advanced classes, and I just knew that with that kind of resume and a 30 on my ACT, the University of Kentucky would beg me to grace their campus and gladly pay my way. Honestly, aside from Ivy League schools, who wouldn't, I told my mom as I put the finishing touches on my admissions essay. When she looked at me, her eyes shone with sadness and hope. Letters started arriving from schools, some asking me to apply, some acceptance letters, and then a letter from the University of Kentucky. It was in a simple cream-colored envelope with the logo in the top left corner. All the other mail spilled to the table as I stared at this one envelope. I held it with the smooth texture of the very typical paper beneath my fingertips. A premonition. Time slowed. I slipped my finger under the edge of the flap and gently pulled it up. If this was what I hoped it was, I would put it in a scrapbook or frame it. But if this is what I hoped for, wouldn't it come in a linen envelope at least? Wouldn't it be exquisitely textured under the pads of my fingers? I slid the piece of paper out and unfolded it, scanning the words. The University of Kentucky was pleased to offer me a $600 semester scholarship towards my books. I bit the inside of my lip, and blood rushed to my head. The letter made it sound like such a gift, but it was a joke, an insult. Out-of-state tuition at the University of Kentucky was closer to $30,000 a year. The dream was slipping through my fingertips. I threw the letter on the table and went to the barn, tears burning my already hot cheeks. The next day, I built up my courage, picked up the kitchen phone, and dialed the number at the bottom of the letter. The University of Kentucky, this is Stacy speaking, came through the receiver in a sing-song voice like she was Snow White singing to her animal friends on a cloudless day. I inhaled a steadying breath. Hi, Stacy. My name is Sarah. I'm calling about the $600 scholarship offer I received in the mail this week. Oh, wonderful, Sarah. Congratulations, she said as if I had won the lottery, as if $600 was even enough to park my car for a year, which it probably wasn't. Yeah, well, thanks. I tried to match her cheerful tone. The only thing is, I'm coming from Mississippi, so that's not going to be very helpful considering out-of-state tuition. Oh yes, I see your point, but it should be more than enough to cover your books. Uh-huh, well, the thing is, I made a 30 on my ACT. I scored almost perfect in the reading portion. I have nearly a 4.0 grade average in the most advanced classes my school offers. I was wondering if maybe y'all could review my application or something, because... $600 a semester isn't enough to get me to your school. I shocked myself with my bravery and was grateful she couldn't see the tangled mess of my insides. Wow, that's all really impressive, Stacy said like a cheery robot on autopilot. But $600 is the best we can offer you. Okay, my hands shook, and I hoped she couldn't hear it in my voice as I tried to sound confident, like I didn't need them to make my dream come true. The University of Kentucky will regret this. You're missing out on a really great applicant. I blurted before hanging up the phone, defiant that they wouldn't, <laughs> defiance that they couldn't see my worth ward with utter despair. What now? 
I didn't want to go to Mississippi College. I didn't want to follow my parents' and brothers' footsteps. I was a trailblazer. One weekday afternoon, I drove home from school and pulled up to the mailbox, hoping for surprise scholarship letters from anyone other than MC. The heavy iron front of the mailbox clunked open, and I peered into the half-cylinder. The light bounced off Kelly Green wrapping paper. I had heard about this wrapping paper from friends, friends who were excited and who felt hopeful for their future because of what it contained. I could still see the spark in one of my friend's eyes when she bounced into class two days earlier telling us about her green envelope. My hands shook and red splotches climbed up my neck onto my face. I reached into the mailbox and pulled the gaudy envelope into my lap. Slowly, my fingers found the seam and peeled the flap away from the envelope, my heart growing hollow as the rubber cement stretched into tiny strings and gave way. I read the letter. Congratulations. We at Mississippi College are excited to offer a leadership scholarship of $20,000 per year for four years. Sitting in my blue pickup truck in front of my house, I melted into a red-faced, snot-nosed, crying mess of broken dreams. It wasn't fair. I had worked so hard, believed so big, and here I was, trapped by a life-changing amount of scholarship that I couldn't refuse. This, plus the scholarship from the state men in education at a highly regarded private college, would be nearly free. A girl from a middle-class family didn't turn down a free ride to such an excellent school unless there was something just as good or better offered to her. And there wasn't. This was the $100 bill flicked to the table when all my heart wanted was a horse at the mailbox. My dad excitedly announced to everyone he saw I would follow in his footsteps and attend Mississippi College. I came along right behind him and set everyone straight. Nothing was set in stone. I took every detour I could find, applying to Mississippi State and even lining up a roommate. I just wanted to blaze my own trail. It didn't matter. No one beat Mississippi College's offer. Mom and Dad cornered me in the kitchen one night after dinner. I was last to finish eating. When I turned to leave the table, there they were. Mom was a bit ashen. Dad was red. My pulse picked up at the idea of confrontation. Maybe they wanted the best for me. I got that. But what about what I wanted for myself? How come no matter how hard I tried, this wasn't coming together? You're not going to Mississippi State, my dad said. You've got the highest scholarship Mississippi College offers on the table. It's a great school. You can go there and do pre-med or pre-vet and go on to be a brain surgeon or a, or a horse vet. God help me, I prayed in my head. Okay. I looked at them both, scrounging for anything. I'll make a deal. The idea popped into my head at the very moment I said it. The words were a white flag that felt like a bullet to the leg. I'll go to Mississippi College, but only if you promise me that if I still want to go to Kentucky in two years, I can do it. My eyes were full, but I fought the tears back. Tough horse girls don't cry. Mom and Dad stared at each other, silently communicating. Dad's face got more red. Mom took a step towards me. So, you're saying you will go to Mississippi College now and not argue? Yes, ma'am. I looked into my dad's flinty eyes and then hers. I'll go, and I'll make the best of it. I'll live on campus, and I'll do pre-vet classes for two years. They looked at each other again. Okay, Mom said. And in two years, if you still really want to go to Kentucky, we'll support you. I looked from her to my dad. His face was a definite scarlet shade, but he agreed. Give MC two years, and if you still want to, you can transfer. I could hear the disbelief in his voice. I wanted to smile. We had a deal. I wanted to cry. Two years felt like a lifetime. 
And what if in two years I still couldn't make it happen? I'm going to my room, I mumbled, rushing past that cursed green envelope still on the kitchen counter. Huddling on the bed with my favorite stuffed horse, I cried and begged God to help me. The tug I had felt when I stood in front of Churchill Downs in Louisville was still there. It was like a rope tethering me to a dream, and I clung to it with both hands and prayed for help to get to the other end. In the fall, I arrived at Mississippi College, determined to make the best of it. My dorm room was tiny, and I crammed it with three carloads of junk that felt important, even impossible to live without. My roommate's eyes grew wide when she saw all my stuff, and then she said, Hey, hey, roommate, that's all right. I love stuff. She was an un- as untamable as her wild curly hair. We were so different, yet so similar. She wore medical scrubs that she cut off below the knee and usually had a cigarette between two fingers as she traversed the quad of our Baptist college. She was loud and didn't use a filter, and I loved her. They announced the upcoming election for student government. I put my name in the hat for class president and dyed my hair blue so no one could miss me. I joined a social tribe, tried out for plays, spent two days on the softball team before deciding it took too much time away from the barn, and visited Gideon several times a week to rehab an injury he got that summer, all while taking pre-vet courses. I decided I wouldn't date for my first year. Maybe it was my give it my all because I would leave soon attitude, or maybe it was because my complete lack of interest in dating, but for the first time in my life... A lot of guys were interested in me. It was cute, weird, (laughs) surreal, whatever it was. I didn't think too much about it because I wouldn't be here long enough to fall in love with a guy and get married. I did, however, feel myself falling in love with Mississippi College. It was nearly perfect. And I could see why my family pushed so hard for me to get there. There was just one problem. There were still no racetracks nearby. That's it! Chapter five, wrap up. So don't forget to stay tuned for chapter six of Finding Gideon. Um, Share it with a friend. If you're enjoying the story, be sure to let someone know. Like, you know, when there's a really good movie on, you tell them. If this is your favorite podcast, tell someone. Okay, quick before I go. This, I recorded this episode a few days ago, but I'm popping back in on the day that I post it because it's my birthday and I'm going to publish this episode today, February 21st, on my birthday. I am on a mission to have the Kickstarter done by today, fully backed and funded and everything. Please help me as my birthday gift. Let's just like check this box it is funded and move forward to the next thing. So anyway, thank you so much for being a part of the story. Thank you in advance for helping finish the Kickstarter. Even if you don't feel like you have the money, which is totally fine. I'm broke as a joke sometimes too. Share it with a friend, share it with a parent, share it with somebody who you think would really love to back this story. So anyway, thank you all for tuning in and being part of the story. Have a great day. Don't forget to have grace for yourself and grace for others. Bye.